Okay, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at a short section today. This is something the Lord put on my heart really early this last week to share with you guys, and I hope it's a blessing. Before we get to our text, we're going to pick up in verse 22 of Matthew 14. I want to share with you a little bit about what we talked about last week and a little bit about what happened right before uh, the text of our focus this morning. Last week's study in 1 Kings 17, we, we looked at three different reminders that the Lord taught us uh, through the life of Elijah. And we saw really clearly in the early ministry of the prophet Elijah that God provides, God rewards, and God resurrects. God had fed Elijah in the wilderness with unclean ravens of all things. And then he had rewarded the obedience of the widow who listened to what Elijah said when he said, just make me a meal, then you'll have you know enough to make for you and your son, and the flour jar will not stop being replenished. And, and now this amazing miracle happens where continually as they make their bread, as they make their food, God is refilling that flour jar. And so God rewards those who obey him. And then in the end, we see the widow's son get sick and die, and the Lord uses Elijah to raise him from the dead. We saw that God resurrects. And those are always great reminders from the Old Testament. There's so many awesome stories as you read your Bible, and hopefully you're finding more time to read your Bible, that God continues to work in times of desperation, that God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And there's so many great examples in the scriptures. I encourage you to go find them. Read about this, the, the life of David. Read about the life of Elijah and Elisha and and so many different characters. Read the book of Genesis cover to cover, you know, and, and really see what um, God did for his people in the midst of trial and in the midst of good times. God never ceases to work. And we talked about this last week. God is the same. God doesn't change. Our situations change. Our circumstances change. God is the same. And God is the same right now as he was a month ago. God is the same. He's still working. He's still doing things. He is still faithful so the first of those reminders that we saw in 1 Kings chapter 17 that God provides, it's interesting if you look at Matthew chapter 14, the disciples learned this lesson in the section prior to our focus of study this morning. They learned the lesson about God's provision, and it's really interesting to see how that happened. And most of us are familiar with this. They're in a deserted place. There's a huge crowd there with Jesus. And as they're, as they're being ministered to by him, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, listen, you've got to send these people away. You gotta send these people away to go into the villages around here and buy food. You know, we don't have massive amounts, you know, we don't have a Costco full of food right now to feed all these people. And being in a deserted place, they realized that they couldn't provide any of that for them. And Jesus answered them, and I would deduce by observing their reaction shockingly to them, he answers with, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I don't know about you guys, but if I was in the disciples' shoes, and Jesus pointed to what was most likely about 15,000 people, you know, maybe more. And he said, you guys feed them. I don't know about you, but I feel very, you know, underprepared. I mean, even if we ran down to the store and got a bunch of bar-ass hot dogs, it's going to take us a while. So, like, it's, it, th this is a huge task. And they're like, wait, what? You know, we know how this situation plays out. We've read the story before. You're, maybe some of you are reading it right now. I'm not there to keep an eye on you. Read it. That's, that's all good. The disciples... Look at what they physically have for food, which is five loaves and just two fishies. They look at what they physically have for food, and Jesus shows them what they actually have. They look at the physical means. They look at what's physically in front of them, and no matter how they slice that bread, it's not going to last. 
(laughs) That bread is not going to feed even the disciples themselves. So like, no, it doesn't matter what way you slice it. Um, it, It's not going to last. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, cut the mustard, even if they had mustard. But here's the point. The, the disciples look at what they physically have. I know it's just going to keep coming. I've been locked up. You've been locked up. You have to understand these jokes are dying to get out of me right now. So Jesus shows them something far more powerful than what they physically have in their possession. They have Jesus there. They have Christ there with them. And he shows them that God's provision is not limited to our resources. And I want you guys to recognize that God's provision is not limited to our resources. We have to remember this this in, in times like we're in. God's provision is based on his infinite resource and ability. Now, a lot of times God will get done in our lives what he desires to get done by us using the physical means that we have. But as we saw in the story of Elijah, there are times where God supersedes the physical things that we have to provide what we need. And we have to learn to trust him to do that. And I pray that we not only remember that, but that we have faith and believe it to be so in times like this. Our faith is being grown in many ways right now. And we're going to talk about that in our primary text this morning. So as a, 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 even though the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 is a wonderful text, we're not going to spend our time there this morning. That's just a setup. I'm just setting you guys up for Matthew 14, 22, which hopefully you're there. The disciples undoubtedly overwhelmed by the provision and power of Jesus at this point. So I want you to remember, he just fed most likely 15,000 people or more. Now, after having provided all of that for these people, Jesus is going to do something on the Sea of Galilee that's unprecedented. And they're going to be overwhelmed by Jesus' power in a whole nother way. And so right after this happens, right after the feeding of the 5,000, as we'll see at the beginning of our text, Jesus is going to put his disciples into a boat. And you would almost think after what Jesus just did, that was so unbelievable. You know, 15,000 people or more, all of these people fed. There's leftovers, 12 baskets of leftover fragments. You would think that they'd be like, this is it. This is so great. We get in a boat, we go on a nice cruise, fade to black, run the credits. That's it. Not so much. Look at verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately, this is following the feeding of the 5,000. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So the scene is set as Jesus puts the disciples on the boat. He sends them across the Sea of Galilee. He goes up into a mountain and he spends a good amount of time there praying. We would say most of the night because in the following passage, we're going to see that uh, the watch of the night based on the Roman calendar is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. that he comes walking to them on the sea. And I'm cheating a bit. I'm giving little details, but I'm sure you've read this or or, are cheating right now yourselves. Shame on you. Notice, just kidding. It was the Lord's plan. I want you to notice this. It was the Lord's plan that they went ahead of him. They didn't come up with this idea on their own to get in the boat and leave. It says this in the text. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. It was Jesus's idea This wasn't the disciples acting ill-advised or rashly. They have nothing that they've done here to be blamed for themselves for this plan. In other words, Jesus put them on this boat. This was the desire of the Lord to send them on without him. It's interesting to me because as I think about it, Jesus didn't require a boat to get across the sea. So it's not a big worry for him. You know, like it makes you wonder if the disciples were like, 
I wonder how he plans on, you know, well, okay, we'll just go. You know, it's Jesus. They're, they're kind of wrong, but I wonder if they thought in their heads, probably not because of the way they reacted in a minute that we'll see in the text, but, you know, how's Jesus going to get across to where we are? Is he going to take the long way? You know, is he going to take the long way and walk around? No, Jesus is going to take a shortcut. So look, most of us already know, and some are cheaters, and we've already read ahead, like me, totally okay, but we know where this thing is going. We know that it was Jesus's desire to put them on the boat. And we know where this thing is going. They're pushing away from the shore and they're not heading out into a calm sea. They're heading out into a raging storm. They're going into a raging storm. And it wasn't their decision to put themselves there at this time. It was the Lord's. He made them go ahead. And here's my first point. Church, please hear me. This is my first point. Jesus will not hesitate to send us into the storm. And notice this, knowing that it's too much for us. Jesus will not hesitate to send us into situations that he knows are too much for us to handle. He will send us into those situations. So the, the key for us is just to remember that when we're in those situations. And we'll talk about this in a minute. There's a reason why oftentimes we don't. There's something that actually happens within us that causes us not to recognize in the moment what we know about Jesus to be true. That he puts us in these situations, but he puts us in these situations for a reason. It would be very concerning if we didn't know the Lord personally, it'd be very concerning for us to be in these types of situations. If we didn't know the Lord, it would freak us out, but we know him. He just fed how many people on the shore that, that they did not have the physical means to feed. Five loaves of bread, two fishies. That didn't involve, you know, any weird type of distribution or everyone gets a crumb. Everyone ate and was full. They were filled with the bread that he gave them. It was a demonstration of the power of Christ. We depend on his power, not just for spiritual things, but for physical. I think that a lot of times we, we trust God to do spiritual things like, oh, he saved me. That's something spiritual that we can say intrinsically. That's something that happens that he saved me, and that's overwhelming, that's powerful. But when I look at somebody and say, God will provide the next meal that you need for you, we struggle with that. And I think that seasons like what we're in right now is intended to grow our faith in ways that we start, we start seeing faith like what we've read about. Not just in the scriptures, but guys like George Mueller. We start seeing God provide in ways that we, that we can't really explain. It's, it's God intervening. It's storm Storm involvement, basically, for a better word. It's not in the notes, so I'm tripping over myself. But it's, it's basically storm-instigated provision. It's God providing only in a way that he will provide in a dire situation. And God wants to do that for us. So many times in our lives, I wonder if we haven't experienced that more because we haven't allowed him to put us in those situations. We've refused to get in the boat and step out in faith because we know there could be a storm out there. A lot of times I freak myself out because I look and I go, no, 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 no. There's a storm out there. The Lord's like, if I told you to go, just go. Just get out there. And we understand this on the spiritual side, I think, because we've read passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I think that we connect this, but we need to connect it in a broader way. Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. There is something that is happening even in this very moment, and this is my prayer, that God's Spirit is demonstrating the power of God, and He's doing it in spite of my speech. He's doing it in spite of our situations. He's doing it in spite of our weakness. He is working in ways that only He can receive the glory for doing. And our faith is not to be based on human wisdom. When we look at the physical human means of our lives, we cannot base our faith on what we're seeing. We are to base our faith on the power that is only God's. And so when he puts us in situations like we're in or like we can be in or just all the different things that are going on in our lives right now, God is giving us opportunity to trust his power and not human wisdom, his strength. His ability. And I think we can get on board with the spiritual side, but it's a lot harder when real life circumstances get hard. When the circumstances that we're sitting in are hard and, and it gives us opportunity to mature. We're being given an opportunity to mature. I live in James chapter one right now. Just read James chapter one once a day for this next week. It is so important to understand that the testing of our faith is, is producing endurance. And that we need to let that have its full effect so that we can be mature and complete. God is maturing us right now. This is not outside of his plan. This is God's plan. And, and what's crazy is we look and we're like, oh, clearly a virus and people are dying and, and sick and all these. No, you understand that God, God is not using evil to get his will done. God works through that, through the middle of it, and still gets his will done. It's just like he said to Solomon when he dedicated the temple. Solomon was there in front of the Lord, and God's like, listen, if you obey me, I'm going to make my name known right here in this place. And he says, guess what? If you don't obey me, I'll wreck this temple to the ground, and I'll still receive glory because the other nations around will look at it and go, their God is powerful. God is going to get glory, whether we are in great circumstances or tough circumstances. So long as his church continues to give glory to him. Even so, even when we're out of whack, God still gets his glory. But how much should we be sinking ourselves up to his will and what he's doing right now? This is not outside of him. He is going to use this to mature us if we don't kick against it. If we don't fight against it, if we don't misplace our faith and look at the physical means. Do you feel out of your ability right now? Do you feel out of your comfort zone? Do you feel quarantined into what used to be your comfort zone? I mean, like a lot of us have to think about that. We're like, you know what? I used to go out and feel so out of place and now I'm home. And, you know, and I know that like introverts around the world are celebrating quarantine. But, but here's the thing. It starts to feel like a prison if you don't have the right perspective. And I know that some of you are laughing right now because my wife's laughing. But, it, you know, being at home is a great thing when it's not a requirement you know, it's kind of like, I want to go home and hang out, but when my parents say I can't go anywhere, the last place I want to be is 
home. And so like, it's that requirement, like you have to stay home. You have to, you know, this is social distancing. It's important. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if we feel out of our ability. It doesn't matter if we feel out of our comfort zone. What matters is that the Lord knows right where we are. What matters is that where we are is not outside of his reach. And something that's really interesting that we see about the disciples here in Matthew chapter 14 is that while they're out on the water struggling in this storm, Jesus is praying. Jesus is up on the mountain praying. Where's Jesus right now? Everyone probably heaven. Right. What's he doing? Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 35. I'll tell you. Paul talks about it. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be, who is against us? We, we say a lot, who can be against us? Memorize that verse. He did not spare, even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. Nothing. No one can. Nothing can separate us. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. I don't know what Jesus was praying on the mountain that night as the disciples struggled across the Sea of Galilee, but I know what he's doing right now. I know what he's praying right now. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding. He is pleading for us to the Father. He is our advocate. He is for us right now in this very moment, making intercession on our behalf. You may feel like you're out of your comfort zone. You may feel like you're out in the ocean getting tossed around. Jesus is praying for us. And Jesus is coming for us. We know this. We may not like the timing. We may not like the situation we're in, but he is coming. And that's our hope. That's what we put all of our trust, all of our faith in. Jesus did not hesitate to send the disciples into the situation. Jesus did not hesitate either to walk right into the mess with them. He didn't hesitate to walk right into where they were. You see, it's there on the stormy sea that their faith is being tested and shown to be what it actually is. We don't find out what our faith is actually, how strong our faith actually is until it's put to the test. How would the disciples receive him in the storm? Look at verse 24. Meanwhile, as Jesus is up praying, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. How did they receive Jesus? They were freaking out. They were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. If there had been toilet paper there, they would have bought all of it. Like, I mean, that's just, that's the situation they're in. I'm serious. Like, they're losing it. They don't know how to handle the situation they're in. They're distressed. 
And, and it should say something. Some of these guys know what they're doing out on the water. Some of these guys are fishermen. They're used to being out on the water. And this is absolutely stretching them to their limits. And they see Jesus and they go crazy. It's a ghost. Matthew's usage of this word for ghost here is phantasma. It could imply that the disciples thought their eyes were deceiving them. They thought that they were seeing things that they weren't actually seeing. Okay, second point. I need you guys to hear this. I need the church to hear this. Fear makes us irrational. Fear makes us irrational. Fear causes normally level-headed people to do very unlevel-headed things. And they were afraid. The disciples were afraid. When people get scared, when people experience fear and they're afraid, they do very lame things. We're all like this. We all do very dumb things and we're afraid. They're so afraid that the sight of the Lord alarmed them rather than relieved them. And there's a lesson to be had there. The one who could save them from their situation is actually the one that's scaring them in their situation. Never let fear cloud your judgment. Never let fear cloud your judgment so that you don't recognize friend from foe, savior from enemy, his thoughts for fleshly thoughts. That's what fear does. It clouds our judgment. It clouds us from being able to make those kind of decisions rationally. What does Jesus say to them as he walks on the stormy sea? Well, how does he respond to them? Immediately. Don't you love the heart of Jesus? Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus immediately calms their fear. How does Jesus respond to their fearful cries? Come on, you guys. Keep it together. Gosh, I'm gone for five seconds. I can't even get a couple hours up on the mountain to pray. It gets windy. And really, Thomas, you're going to cry right now? I mean, like, he, he's not cutting them down at all. You know, I don't know if Thomas, that's, that's not in the Bible. But, but you get my point. Like, Jesus isn't cutting them down or, or harshing them. He looks at them and says, take courage. Have courage, guys. It's me. Now notice, I'm not just going to say it's me in this situation because what Jesus says here is very specifically spoken. He says, it is I. The words, it is I, are literally I am. Jesus purposefully identifies himself as Yahweh because he is God. He says, don't be afraid. Because he is who he is, he can look at the disciples and say, don't be afraid. I'm right here. They don't have to fear. Fear is not something we have to give into. When we know Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. Fear is a choice. Fear is something that we give into, but we're not enslaved to it anymore. If Jesus wasn't with us, fear is pretty understandable. Terror is pretty justifiable. But with Jesus, we don't have to fear anything. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? Rhetorical question. No one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Another rhetorical question. No one. If God is for us, who can be against us? When we don't succumb to fear and instead trust Jesus, our faith grows. Jesus looks at them and he affirms who he is to them and he challenges them with, don't be afraid based on who he is. And it's at that moment that we can make a choice. We can set aside fear and we can take a step of faith. And that's what we see Peter do. Look at Peter's example. 
Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Don't you wish you were there? I mean, I wish I was there for the whole thing, even the scary parts. But like, don't you wish you were there to see a man in your boat and you hope it would be you. But you know, like the, the, a person in your boat, one of your boys, look and say, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come out. Ask me to come out. And Jesus says, come, come on out. He permitted him. And Peter starts walking on the water. And as Peter receives the welcome from Jesus, and as he steps out on the boat, he's making his way towards Jesus. He's not wandering. He's making his way to the Savior. He's walking towards Jesus in the storm. Now, I want you to make, I want to make this really clear. I want everyone to understand this together. Jesus did not beckon Peter to come to him on calm, peaceful seas. Jesus didn't didn't invite Peter to walk towards him only after he calmed the storm. The storm raged on. The power of the storm continued. There was a absolute, well, we're going to see it in a minute especially, but this, this real world situation that Peter was in where all of the danger surrounded him and Jesus invited him to come forward in the midst of it to take a step of faith, but Jesus didn't remove the difficulty of the situation. He invited Peter to come to him in the middle of it. Jesus calls us to himself in the midst of our situations, in the midst of the difficulty. Church, I really want to encourage us as a family. Let's take hold of this. And this, what's great about doing, you know, messages online is I'm not just teaching the people who are in the room, my family with me now. I'm not just teaching people and sharing with people who are in our church at Transform Ministries, the ability for this to reach the big church, the, the church that's all over the world is available through this. And so if you are a believer in Christ, this is for you. Take hold of this with me. The storm is the opportunity for our faith to increase. The difficulty is the opportunity for our faith to grow and to mature. Our faith is not tested in comfort. The storm is the backdrop for our faith to be on display. And our faith is being called forward right now. Whether it's fear of sickness or fear of the economy or fear of our jobs, Jesus is not just present in this situation. Jesus bids us to come out on the water. He's asking us to step out into it, to step forward. Now, that doesn't mean that we're reckless about not taking care of people who could get sick right now. What it means is when people need help, this is an opportunity for us to give sacrificially. This is a chance for us to take care of people and entrust ourselves to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. The storm that we're in is not going to end as quickly as we want it to. And we should thank God for that. We should thank God for it because every day that goes by where this situation continues is another opportunity to step out of the boat. It's a fresh opportunity to walk on water to Jesus, to show the world that it's his power and that if we put our eyes on him, we can do things that aren't normal.
I don't know if you know this, but it's not very normal to walk on water for Peter. I think we kind of accept it for, for Jesus. You know, like Jesus walked on water, he's God. Peter's walking on water now too. That's even weirder when you know Peter. And I think a lot of us compare ourselves to Peter. I certainly do, especially the whole foot and mouth thing. I compare myself to Peter all the time. Peter is walking on water to Jesus so long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus. He is able to do what Jesus has called him out to do so long as his eyes are on Christ. And as we set our eyes on him, we draw near to him. He is near to us. The question is, is have we failed to do this? Have we failed to step out in this way? And I want to encourage you. Some of us have faltered. Some of us have struggled. And some of us will struggle. And I think that it should encourage us that verses 30 through 32 are in this passage. Look at this with me. But, speaking of Peter, when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him, verse 33 says, and said, Truly you are the Son of God. Peter was walking on water to Jesus. And Peter looked at the waves and he looked at the wind. He started watching CNN. He started looking at his news app too much. Not because he wasn't aware of what was going on around him. Of course we're aware. And it's not a problem to be informed. But we can't focus on it. We can't make that the thing that consumes us. We need to find ourselves consumed with the pursuit of Christ. Then... Then Peter could walk on water. When Jesus was the focus. Notice what re-enters the picture here. Did you catch it? When he saw the strength of the wind. Now what happened before is Peter asked in faith, can I come out to you? And Jesus bid him to come. What happens in verse 30? Something re-enters the picture that was gone for a moment. When he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. Fear re-enters the picture, and fear re-entered the picture because Peter took his eyes off Jesus. Peter took his eyes off the Lord, and so fear comes back in again, and he begins to sink. Church, there are several things that I want you to walk away from this passage of Scripture with. I want to equip you with these things. Here's another one. I've given you several before. Here's another one. Please hear this. Fear sinks our faith. Fear sinks our faith. When we let fear take over because we've taken our eyes off Jesus, our faith in him sinks. It not only sinks our faith, but we find that fear is the root of doubt. When we start doubting the Lord, fear is at the root of it. What we do with fear matters because if we leave it unchecked, it will usher in doubt that will sink our faith. And we can't allow that to happen in a season where the church, so to speak, should be walking on water. Where the church should be stepping out in faith and going to Jesus and doing things that people think aren't normal. That will bring glory to God. There's lots of practical ways for this to play out in our lives. But what we see here in scripture is so powerful. 
We get distracted with the wind and the waves. We get distracted with the storm. Fear is something that we all experience. We have all experienced fear. We will all experience it again. But the most important part, the most important thing that we do is do we turn to the Lord when we're afraid or do we let that fear push us away from him? Do we let fear distract us from Jesus or do we focus on Christ remembering that he is our savior, remembering that he is God? It should encourage us that due to the circumstances, Peter became afraid, even with Jesus standing on the water right there in front of him. Not because we sympathize with Peter's weakness. That's not encouraging. Uh, sympathizing with Peter's weakness is not encouraging to me. Like looking at it and be like, hey, Peter didn't have faith either. And he's sinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's not what I want. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to sympathize or connect and be like, I really feel like I mesh with Peter and weakness. No, I don't want to mesh with Peter and weakness. I, I recognize he has it. I recognize it myself. I want to know how to be free of it. What's encouraging is what Jesus does. Because in this story, even as we study the scriptures, the intent of the Bible is to put our eyes on Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, we are to put our eyes on Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. And so what we want to do in this text is not sympathize with Peter. It's to look at what Jesus does. It's to lock our eyes on Jesus in this situation, even as we read it. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? If you are struggling with doubt, if you have struggled with fear, if you have struggled with all of these things that are going on right now and you feel like you've faltered, Jesus reaches out his hand and takes hold of us. He saves us from these situations, even when we fail. It's not that Jesus only loves us when we step out in faith and walk on water to him. He loves us even when we're sinking. And the best thing for us to do if we're faltering, if we're, if we're feeling like we're falling apart in this situation, is to cry out to the Lord, save me. Reach out your hand. He will save you. 1 John 4.16, reading through verse 19. And we have come to know and to believe the, Lord, the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Notice verse 18. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment, so the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. We recognize that perfect love drives out fear. We need to soak and marinate in the love of God right now. We need to marinate in his love because that love of Christ that's for every single one of us, church, will drive out our fear. His love will drive out fear and we will be able to go forward and glorify him in situations like this. My prayer for the church is that we would come to this better understanding in the midst of this storm. To a better understanding of what his love means to us, how powerful its hold on us is, and that that love drives out the fear that causes us to doubt him, that causes us to question 
what he's doing or what he's able to do. We've come out of a season for our, I'll just speak to our country. We've come out of a season in our country of blessing. And, and church, that season may be ending. That season may be ending for a while. And just in saying those words, some of you might immediately feel that little cropping of fear start rising up inside your heart. Perfect love casts out fear. We aren't bound to this place. We are citizens of heaven. We belong to Jesus. We don't have to fear any of this. Now, wisdom comes in, and there's balance to this. Like, some of you are like, ah, I guess run out and off to, you know, wash my hands or do anything. Don't be foolish. I talked about this last week. We wouldn't call a police officer a fool for wearing a bulletproof vest to work. We wouldn't say that that was a lack of faith. That's just wisdom. So we marry wisdom to this, but you understand that should something happen to us, should we lose loved ones, should we lose jobs, Christ is still on the throne. His will is still going to be done. We are still his children. We still have hope in heaven. That should feed our joy. And the love that he's shown to us just chucks fear right out of the picture. All of our doubts go with it. When you feel that cropping up again, recognize it in the moment. As the disciples were out there on the sea, they're looking at Jesus walking on the water and like, it's a ghost. They freak out. They get terrified. Their fear made them irrational. And so our prayer as a church is that our fear would be cast out so that we stay focused on Jesus. So that when he starts working, we're not only aware of it, we're running across the water to him. We're running across to be a part of what he's doing because he has empowered us to do so. We prove in times like this just how much we believe that we are a body and that Jesus is our head. As Christ is the head of the body, we then move under his direction and his power. My prayer for us, church, is that we find ourselves, if we've succumbed to fear in our current circumstances, to cry out, Lord, save us. No one should feel condemned right now. No one should feel condemned for what they're going through, what they're experiencing. Um, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 Romans 8, is a powerful verse. And what it reminds us is this, as we looked at this in Matthew 14 as well, when we falter, when we, when we doubt, Jesus is there to save us from that. If you're doubting, if you're struggling with fear, he's right here, right now. He's in your room with you. He's in your living room with you. He's right there. He's right here. And he is reaching out to save us, to remind us, to restore our faith, and to say something as tender as only Christ can say it. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, notice this in verse 32, the wind ceased. Jesus calmed the storm. I don't know when this storm's going to calm. I don't. But I know this. If Jesus is in the boat, we should be doing exactly what they're doing, verse 33. Worshiping him. We should be worshiping Jesus. He's right here. And he takes them to the other side safely. No matter what church, family, we are getting to the other side safely. We are getting to eternity safely. Don't let 
what's going on in our world cloud that truth. We will be there with Jesus for all eternity because of who he is. So because of that, we can have joy. And we can look for opportunities in seasons like this because we recognize that he's sovereign over all of it. I hope that encourages you. I hope it, it builds you up. I hope that over the coming weeks, we find more and more ways, creative ways, to bless our families, to bless our communities, to continue to meet up on video chats and, and send each other messages and um, support one another. This is a season that we've never experienced before. I've never experienced anything like it. Jesus with us, empowered by his Holy Spirit, sons and daughters of the Father, I think we're pretty justified in being excited. Excited to see him work. Excited to see how he uses this time. Because he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called to his purpose. And we are. So let's pray together. And I'm just going to sing a worship song with my kids. And, and, uh, and that'll be that. So let's pray together in your living rooms, in your homes, in your rooms. Just bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, as we um, just remember these things, God, we thank you that we see such powerful examples, Lord, in your word um, of how we can be. God, of our own limitations. And God, I pray that we would learn from these circumstances, that as we read your word, we would grow from it, we would learn. And Lord, that we would not sink. Lord, that we would walk in faith. We would let your perfect love cast out our fear. And Lord, if we do find ourselves sinking, having failed, we would remember you're not condemning us, you're saving us. You're not pushing us away. You're reaching out and pulling us towards yourself lifting us from the waves. You called us out onto that water in the midst of the storm. And so, Lord, I pray that collectively, as a church, we would take those steps forward. Lock our eyes on you. And, Lord, that we would walk in the ways that you do.